0: Well thanks, Chris. It's good to be with you. I was here recently just 30 years ago and uh, <laughs> priest, preached a few sermons at that time and delighted to be back. We are friends of Allison Sr. and Jr. and uh, have been for quite a long time, but that is true. My wife's only been a matchmaker twice and once was with Craig and Esther. So The uh, series is uh, called, as you know, it's on the screen, uh, timeless, uh, speaking of timeless, there is no, oh, there is a clock back there I can just see, okay? We're going to be sp- 10.45 I'm supposed to finish, is that right? Just, just joking there. Um, timeless Old Testament stories of flaws and faith, and I went on uh, YouTube last Monday because I thought I should know who's been preaching and just know who's preached the sermon before mine. And I went on there, and I saw Gord Martin, who is really an old man. (laughs) I thought this series maybe should be titled Old Testament Stories from Old Men. (laughs) Gord and I, uh, Gord and Heather and Jan and I were in training with what was called Literature Crusades, now called International Teams, way back, way, way back before many of you were born. So we've known them Uh, since then. I think Gord is actually a couple years younger than me, but not much. So from one old man to another, thank you for uh, letting us uh, share with you. Uh, Those early days, uh, I knew Gord. And then, of course, he started Vision Ontario. And I I followed from afar normally, but have been wonderfully amazed at how that uh, Vision Canada ministries canada has grown and done such good things so good man to have here preaching at any time and i know the church here has been supportive of of that ministry for a long time i want to just before i launch into the sermon today i know that children are in this service which is always a challenge for preachers but more of a challenge for parents and so if you're in grade one to grade five would you just stand up for a minute just stay where you are but would you just stand up beside your mom and dad let me see how many of you are there just stand up Okay, I see two over there and a couple there. And co- Okay, here's, here's a question for you. Um, and maybe you can talk to your mom and dad when you go home. I'm going to talk about a man who asked questions today. And so would you be thinking um, about two good questions you would ask if you could meet God And say he maybe came in the form of Jesus as he did many years ago. What would be two questions you would ask him? Could you think about that? What would you think about? And and if you've got one of the uh, papers that are handed out there, the kids' papers, you could even write it down. Here are two questions I'd ask God. And then after the service, you could talk to your mom and dad or grandpa and grandma or whoever you're here with and just say, hey, here are the two questions I'd ask. What would you ask, mom and dad? And you might just have a good conversation about God. God is never afraid of us asking him questions. Now, some people ask silly questions. Why is the sky blue instead of red? He's not interested in those kind of questions. But, but questions to, that really we're wondering about, about life and about God, he is happy to have questions. And no matter what question we ask about God and the world, other people, have asked that kind of question, so we don't need to be concerned that God will be somehow bothered when we ask him a question. When I was asked by Pastor Dan if I'd come and preach, um, he said, Nelson, we're going to take this little break here while he's taking a break, I assume, and uh, going to speak on Old Testament characters for a few weeks. And so would you choose a character you'd like to speak on? I didn't know it was going to be called uh, Flaws and Faith, but he did tell me Old Testament characters. So when I told him what I was thinking I would speak on, he said, you know what, I was actually thinking of preaching a series on that in the coming church year. I'm not going to, so great, Uh, glad that you're going to speak on that. Interesting thing about the subject I chose, the person I chose to preach about today, we really know nothing about him. You don't know where he was born, don't know where he died, don't know what clan he was from. We know he was a Jewish person from Israel, and we know his name. We don't know the meaning. His name doesn't have any significant meaning. We're not exactly sure when he was a prophet. We really don't know anything about him, except we do From the little book he wrote, get an insight into how he prayed, what his relationship with God was, and we get some insight into God himself. His name is Habakkuk or Habakkuk. You can pronounce it any way you wish. It's an unusual name. As I say, it has no significance. Some names in the Bible are very significant in their meanings, but but not with his name. And we really don't know. Was he married? Did he have children? We know nothing about him except what we see in the little book he wrote. And so if you have a Bible or you have a device with the Bible on it, we're going to start at the very end of the book, which is the way you normally should know, uh, just to change things up. So we're going to go to Habakkuk chapter 3, and we will start by reading this amazing statement of faith that he makes. It's, it's uh, one of the greatest, I think, in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to invite you, just because you've been sitting for a little while, would you stand up and read this with us, okay? Let's all read this out loud together. Here is the Word of God from Habakkuk. After he's shared what he, we were going to look at, he comes to the end of his book, and he writes these wonderful things, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have this kind of faith statement? Read it with me. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. But look at it as you're sitting down. Whoops, it disappeared. Did you notice? Did you notice that he begins by saying, my heart pounded, my lips quivered, decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled. Isn't that a wonderful poetic way of saying, I was really shaken up. Like, I'm really feeling bad. I'm feeling threatened. I'm feeling emotional. It's making me physically feel bad. And yet, and yet, this is the way I'm going to trust God. And we'll end there as well. So, now to think toward the beginning. It's interesting that so often, so often when we are walking through life, we hit difficulties. And some of us are more sensitive than others to this, but we hit a time of great stress like he was. Now, we live pretty stress-free lives. Granted, if we compare ourselves to those who are in Ukraine or those Christians who are in North Korea, we live pretty stress-free lives. But nonetheless, when life gets difficult or when we're looking at the world and we're thinking about it or praying about it, Questions like, is God helpless? Why does that brutal war continue in Sudan or in the Ukraine? Is God uninterested? There are millions of displaced people and and hundreds of thousands of people starving. Such a food shortage in parts of Africa. Does God care? Maybe when your family member is really sick or when you're living with real pain. Does God really care? Is God unjust? Why do some evil people seem to prosper and have health and wealth and success? Wrap it all up, I guess we could say, why does God do nothing when it seems to me he needs to intervene, he should be doing something? The theme of what we want to look at today is simply honest prayer with a humble attitude, And a large view of God provides a joyful anti-fragile faith. And in our world, as complex as it is and who knows what's coming, to have an anti-fragile faith is a wonderful thing. It's Nassim Taleb, I've been told, the author of a number of uh, books and articles who originated the term anti-fragile. And he was talking about Economics and talking about how the quality of res- resilience and security um, built into economic systems would help them to get through unforeseeable disruptive events. I love that when I read that. Unforeseeable disruptive events have an anti fragile economy. Habakkuk had an anti fragile faith in the midst of what looked like a disruptive and unforeseeable future how do we build that kind of faith the scriptures tell us that god is a great god a loving god we've sung about it this morning he knows my name the psalmist puts it this way in psalm 34 15 the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry or again psalm 34 the righteous cry out and the lord hears them he delivers them but not always right not always We also read in the Old Testament of saints going through hard times, wrestling with disappointment and doubts and discouragement and disillusion because God's not doing what he seemed to say he would do. And so it is that Habakkuk writes his little book, peppered with words and phrases that could come from a number of different psalms, sometimes from the book of Exodus. And he writes wonderfully. Letting us into his wrestling with God. So now we go to the front end of Habakkuk and we read chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and chapter 2, verse 1. And you can stay seated now, but read it out loud with me again and listen. Try to feel what Habakkuk is saying in his prayer to God. Read it with me. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he also writes this with me. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint." If you know anything about Habakkuk, as I've said, we know almost nothing. He is a man who is honest when he prays. And if we are to have a right relationship with God, we need honesty and humility, as Habakkuk demonstrates as he lets us into his prayer life. Old Testament prophets normally spoke to the people about God. But what we read in Habakkuk is a prophet who is speaking to God about people. And what he's saying about the people isn't very nice. He is saying, God, as I look at the leaders in our nation of Israel, as I look at the leaders, I look at the powerful people, the wealthy people, they're corrupt. They are doing violence to the people who have no power. They are cheating. They are just nasty people, and you've promised that when our leadership gets out of control, you will step in, but you're not. Why are you watching this, what I see? Year after year after year, the leadership is corrupt, and they are violating the people. You're not doing anything. Isn't that what you promised to your covenant people, that, that you would step in? that you would do something? Kind of like a child to a parent. How many times, those of you with young children can certainly appreciate, how often does a child say, but you said, and you forgot that you promised. You promised, I don't know, whatever it is, but a toy or a popsicle or whatever. But you said. And it's almost like Habakkuk is saying that, and sometimes we're like that when we say, but God, you said, and look what's happening. He takes his doubts, his questions, his complaints to God. It's interesting, sometimes Christians begin to slide in their faith. They're going down, they're looking at things, they're having problems with their inner life or what their family life is like or their finances, and they're saying, well, where is God? He's not relevant, he's not doing anything. And instead of talking to God, they talk to everybody else, but not Habakkuk. He's concerned, so he goes to God. And with an open mind, he asks and then says, and now I'll watch, I'll listen what God is going to say. And so in this first question of two, we see him doing this kind of thing. He is asking an honest question, a meaningful question of God. And... I hope you understand in your prayer life, God knows what you're thinking. So being honest with God should be the most natural thing in the world. Some people pray nice, polite prayers, but God knows what's in your heart and your mind. And so when you're wrestling with a doubt or a problem or an issue, talk to God about it. He's not bothered by the fact that Christians sometimes feel frustrated with Him because He gave us the Word of God. And the Word of God is filled with writings from Habakkuk and the Psalms where people are questioning him. But what Habakkuk does is not only ask the question, but he listens. He says, I'll listen for what God is saying. And, and so when you have questions or doubts, I hope you go to the Bible. I hope you go to people who know the Bible. Again, sometimes we talk to people who have no faith, and, and they're not really of help when you're struggling with your faith. God knows. And he wants us to be honest. So we come to his two questions. So the first question is a why question. Why aren't you punishing my people? Why aren't you you making them obey? Why aren't you making them be moral? Why aren't you stepping in? You know you can. I know you do. And then God just answers in verse 6 to 11. And he says, Habakkuk, I see it, and I know the problem, and I want to deal with it. Habakkuk, you want to know what I'm going to do? He says, You've heard about the Babylonians? The Babylonians, these powerful people, are rising up. They were just, we're not sure when he's writing, so it's just before or after. They are overthrowing the Assyrians who have been in power in the Middle Eastern section there for decades and decades. And now the Babylonians are being becoming more and more powerful, 612 B.C. They conquer Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. They are becoming the world power. And they're not doing that gently by having discussions. They're just overwhelming with their violence. And so God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I am going to punish the nation of Israel. See, the Babylonians, you're hearing news about how they're conquering different areas. They're going to come to Israel and to Jerusalem. And Israel will pay the price for their disobedience and their immorality. And so Habakkuk's question is answered. And the, the description of the Babylonians, as you see it in chapter 1, is not very nice. But then Habakkuk says, God, if you don't mind, I've got a second question. Like, okay, the, our people are really bad, but the Babylonians are worse. Like, at least our people believe in you. And so now you're saying, this terrible, bloodthirsty nation, they're described, they they are like wolves. They are like vultures or eagles. They're like leopards. God, you know how terrible they are. And you're saying that they will be your tool to deal with us. Why would you take people who are more wicked than we are? How could you, a holy God, Use wicked people like that to discipline your people. And God goes on and answers it. And we don't have the time to read all the verses, but the first question is answered from verse 5 to verse 11. I love the phrase at the end of verse 11, by the way, when he says about the people, God is speaking. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. What are the Babylonians like? They believe in their strength rather than in God. Sounds pretty 2023, don't you think? What do many of the people that you work with or at school with, what do they believe in? They don't believe in God, they believe in the strength of science or the strength of education or the strength of wealth. The Babylonians just believed in their military strength. Then Habakkuk asks his second question in verse 12 and 13 and 14. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? A great confession of faith, my God. We will not die. O Lord, you've appointed them to execute judgment, O rock. But why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And then he says, the chapter, chapter 2, verse 1 that we read earlier, I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer he will give to my complaint. So he asks the second question, But he asks with a certain sense of awe in God and a certain sense of respect for God and a belief that God will somehow do the right thing even though it seems like he's not doing the right thing. And so God answers his second question as well. To be honest with you, sometimes after I finish my morning reading and prayer, I can almost feel depressed because I've been praying for parts of the world, like Sudan, where that young missionary is just going. My daughter once lived close to that, and I know how poor Sudan is from her reports and from the news and the civil war that's been bloodying and killing people. Or Ukraine. How long, how long will you allow the Ukrainian people to, to suffer the way they are? And I have to remember that God is sovereign, as Habakkuk is reminding us. What God promises is he will bring justice. He will bring justice in individual cases. He will bring justice to countries. Romans chapter 12, 19 tells us, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So then moving quickly into chapter 3, what God says, or chapter 2 rather, for most of chapter 2, he just says, here are five things that I'm promising the Babylonians, and they are woe, 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 W-O-E, I'm in horse country here, not that kind of woe, okay? (laughs) Woe to them, woe to them, woe to them, five times. The Babylonians also will suffer for their bloodthirsty evil. And what we're reading, what Habakkuk is having to shift into thinking is that God doesn't always work at the time or in the way we want him to work, that God is sovereign. And how often have I said this in a sermon, and how often have I said them to myself, God moves more slowly than you want him to move, that God often is saying, wait. And we, like little children, say, but we don't want to wait. I want it now. And whether it is my own suffering or my family's suffering or the suffering of the world, we know that God will ultimately bring everything to right, but not yet. Love the way the prophet Isaiah wrote, uh, God gave to Isaiah to write, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts, my ways above your... You can't understand God. We can ask questions. We have partial answers, but we cannot understand, and we live with that. At least 12 psalms say what Habakkuk is saying. How long? How long? How long? And Peter writes part of that answer, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. So... How long have you been waiting? Oh, you've been waiting a minute in God's eternal time? A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promises. Why is he slow? He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God gives time because he wants to do his work in hearts and lives. So what do we need? What is... What does Habakkuk need at this point? We need a larger understanding of God. And one of the things that Habakkuk, you have to catch this in Habakkuk because it's quoted three times in the New Testament. The righteous will live by faith or by faithfulness. The word can be translated either way. Faithful people have faith in God. If you have faith in God, you will be faithful to him. And the Apostle Paul picks that up twice in Romans and Galatians, and then the writer of Hebrews also refers to that. Why faith? Well, we know. It's preached all the time here at Woodside, that Jesus connects us with God through faith in his life, and his death, and his resurrection. He takes care of our hurt and our shame and our sin when we put our faith in him we need an expanding view of god and so as we hurry through this book in chapter three that's what we are getting getting through habakkuk he says lord i've heard of your fame i stand in awe of your deeds and then in chapter three that we don't have time to look at he talks about the power of god seen in creation god's lightning and thunder and the the mighty acts that he's done and god's power in in the exodus taking that harmless people of Israel and shaking off the shackles of Egypt, the powerful country at that time, and letting them go free. The power that's seen in, in that, and the power that's seen at Mount Sinai when Moses goes up to the mountain to get the law of God, and, and there's all kinds of things happening, spectacular shaking of the mountain. He talks about that in chapter 3 to say that he knows the power of God, he's aware of the power of God, he's reminding himself, and that's what you need to do, that's what I need to do. Whenever our faith begins to shake a little bit, let me go back and let me read this now. Let me remind myself what god did in the book of exodus what god did for jonah what god did for gideon let me let me go back and remind myself of that and i go to the new testament as well i go to the resurrection as well i go to the scriptures and i'm reminded this is how powerful god is nelson don't you think he can take care of you don't you think he can take care of your family don't you think he's taking care of the world god I want to make sure I keep remembering that you are transcendent. That is, you are above all the universe. You have the big picture. You have the big power, unlimited power, unlimited knowledge. You are transcendent. And then I need to remember you are personal. You know my name. What a crazy thing to say if you don't believe in the God of the Bible. What an outrageous thing to say if you do believe God is transcendent over the universe. He knows your name. You realize you're not even the size of an ant compared to the greatness of God. But he does. He does. Jesus says, you can pray, our Father in heaven. Amazing. This amazing God who we only know a little bit about. We have all of this in Scripture, and we have the history of Israel and the history of the church, but, but we still know so little. And in a world that's probably going to get worse, not better, I know other generations have said that, but it sure seems like that to many people, we need an anti-fragile faith that not just gets us through, not a faith that just means I'm holding on, I'm I'm going to church. I don't like it. I'm going to church. Well, maybe I like the worship pastor. Um, Need to put that in just to help you out there. I go to church and I like it, but the rest of my life, I don't like. I'm just hanging in there. That's not what Habakkuk says. Remember, we read it earlier. We read it earlier. Habakkuk has an anti-fragile faith that makes him speak about having joy and energy. I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk, I'm just struggling to have faith in God. No, 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 you don't stay there. You need to rejoice in God rejoice in God. And so his statement of faith that I referred to right at the beginning, he is saying, the Babylonians are coming. I've heard what they do to people. And they're coming. And that means this land is going to be devastated. The economy is going to crumble. And so, God, I want to say to you, even though my body is shaking when I think of what they're going to do, I'm going to say to you that I'm going to believe in you, I'm going to rejoice in you, Even if the figs don't grow, the grapes don't grow, there's no wheat in the field, the animals are slaughtered by these people, when they come in and the economy crumbles, I'm going to still rejoice, because I get my joy from you. It's pretty hard for us to identify with that, because number one, we live in a pretty secure Canada with a secure social net and some pretty good prosperity. And we also have never been attacked by a nation. We're not in threat in any sense of the word. We're never going to go through what Rwanda has gone through. We're never going to go through what other countries have gone through. Maybe. But we are so secure, we forget that our security and our joy needs to be in God. But it needs to be in a God who's big enough. You have to have confidence that he is this transcendent God who has the long-range view, who has all the power. And when he's not acting, it's because he has a view that's longer than yours. He has a complex universe and a complex world that he is putting together in the way he wants it to be together in spite of all the sin and rebellion in our world. And we rejoice in him. We go to the New Testament, and we know that's exactly what we're called to do, right? We have a God who visited planet Earth, lived perfectly, taught, did miracles, amazing miracles, and then died for our sin and rose again. Defeated sin, defeated death, and he sets a pattern for us. And so we can pray honestly with a humble attitude and with this large view of God and belief, he gives us joy and an anti-fragile faith because we know Jesus in the garden prayed. Not my will, but thine be done. Even though he had prayed just moments ago, please, take the, please, I don't want to face this terrible thing. Not my will, yours be done. And then on the cross he prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then shortly after that, as he's breathing his last breaths, Into your hands I commend my spirit. I trust you, Father, even in the worst time of life. And that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, who's gone before us, who for the joy before us him endured the cross. We can get through whatever we need to get through if we keep our eyes on Jesus. Often when I pray for the people in Sudan or the people in Ukraine or the people in Haiti or the, some of the terrible things our brothers and sisters are living in, I pray, oh God, help them to keep their eyes on Jesus. I don't know how they get through that. I don't know how you live as a Christian in North Korea. I don't know how you do that, except you keep your eyes on Jesus, knowing you're probably going to wind up in prison, probably be executed, but you're being faithful to Jesus. How dare this spoiled North American not keep his eyes on Jesus? Jesus. And then I remember the Apostle Paul writing his joy-filled letter in one verse there where he says, be joyful always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I love that. Not rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not that there's a good crop coming this year. No. Not that you just got a raise. Not that you're going to have a vacation soon. No, rejoice in the Lord. Those things will make you happier, may make life better. But keep your joy in and from the Lord. And some of you today may be carrying a heavy load. You may have an illness that almost nobody else knows about. Some of you may be under tremendous financial stress right now. And only God and your family knows how you're struggling. Some of you, it may be family issues. A child or a marriage or... But God knows. And you have the same God that Habakkuk had, that Paul had. You have a Savior who's felt great pain. He knows what it's like to be human. And so we can have an anti-fragile faith that will take us through whatever difficulty you're going through or what may lie before you that you know nothing about. And we want to join with Haggai and say we will rejoice in you, Lord, and be able to say, I will continue to believe in God because, God, you can be trusted. We know you are faithful. And I will always, with your help, God, keep finding my joy in you. Amen.